Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, John F. Kennedy, Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. What else do they have in common? Well, they all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that, do you? You know what you hear even less about? The successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm an attorney, not a doctor, a lifelong student, not a coach. I'm also the creator of Cortography, a patent-pending system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your superpowers, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I'm Tracy Otsuka, and welcome to Episode 5 of ADHD for Smartass Women. Today, we are going to talk about how not to fly off the handle when we're really frustrated. Executive functions are a set of skills that help people organize, plan, and control their life so that they can actually get things done. And most of us with ADHD have trouble in one or more of the six executive functions. Today, I want to talk about the executive function that involves emotion. So managing frustration and modulating emotions. Now, we're typically not good at self-regulation, right? And by self-regulation, I mean placing limits on yourself, For example, not staying up too late, not eating that extra piece of cake, sticking to our homework schedule, getting done, whatever it is that we put on our to-do list. And along with that, we also often lack inhibition. So doesn't it make sense that we'd be emotionally impulsive in one area or another? Now think about it. If, you know, it's just like we're impulsive about jumping in and trying new things. And that can be a really good thing, right? Or wanting to do the first thing that pops into our heads. You know, about half of us are also going to struggle with a lack of self-control or emotional impulsivity. We're basically unable to regulate normal emotion. Now, this isn't a mood disorder. We have the same amount of emotion as those without ADHD, We just have an inability to self-calm. We can't control our emotions as well. And if it becomes really serious, we might be told that we have a problem with emotional dysregulation, and that's 1% to 3% of the population. But now we know that the DSM for ADD and ADHD, it doesn't even mention emotion, but every ADD expert today believes that deficient emotional self-regulation should be considered a core component of ADHD alongside deficiencies in behavioral and cognitive self-regulation. You know, I want to give you an example. I worked with a brilliant lawyer who was honestly one of the kindest people that I've ever known. But when he was nervous or anxious, he would just literally lose it. And it was really difficult to work with him and to be around him. You sort of felt like, you know, you were there with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and you never were quite sure who was going to show up. But I sort of figured it out. I in a lot of ways, I felt like I understood him. When he was stressed out, 
that's when, which one's the bad one? Dr. Jekyll? I think Dr. Jekyll's the bad one, right? That's when Dr. Jekyll would show up. And I could totally relate to him because when I have something I really care about that needs to be done and I'm already anxious or nervous about it, I can be really short and snippy and difficult. What comes to mind is, you know, for me right now is, for example, if I have a speech that I'm nervous about giving or I have something that was promised to a client by a certain time and I'm behind, I'm late, like that whole integrity piece is really important to me. So it stresses me out. Then there are, you know, there are things that they're less of a big deal, but it consistently comes up in my life. And one example that I can think of is I get really stressed out about having dinner guests. Now, I'm a really good cook. I like to cook, but my ADHD shows up in such a way that I don't want to ever cook the same thing twice, right? That would be so boring. And beyond that, I have a horrible, horrible sense of time. You know, you add the fact that most of us have this positive illusory bias and I'm no different. I'm a total optimist. So I always think that everything takes less time than it really actually does. So it never fails that right before company comes, I am usually behind and I am frenetic. I'm making food that I've never made before. I'm following recipes with little dinky type and usually no photos, which means that it's all just kind of blobs on a page. And I also struggle with organizing what needs to happen when and what needs to go into the oven when and what needs to come out when, because, you know, my, my lack of time management. I'm just terrible at anything that comes, you know, that has to do with time. And so when I combine that with the fact that I also suffer from that disease called perfectionism, my usually kind of light beat, no problem personality, I can become really demanding. I can become really snippy. You can ask my family. And I really hate that about myself. And so I really tried to develop some workarounds to prevent this from happening. And it's literally, it's taken decades. What I've come to realize is I have to give plenty of time. I know that for me, I go right into emotional spinning when I get nervous and I'm not on schedule and there's a timing issue involved. What happens is I can't even think. My brain is even more hyperactive and I'm bouncing all over the place and I don't even know where to start. So I literally, <laughs> physically at times can can catch myself spinning, like literally going in a circle, like my brain is completely spinning. And then I am, I've got, you know, pot holders in one hand, a pot in the other, and I am spinning between, you know, my oven and my kitchen sink, like literally physically, I catch myself doing that. And that kind of sort of calms me down, but it also sort of amps me up even more. So what I know about myself is I have to be hyper-organized. And I think I learned this, frankly, in law school when I really learned how to study. It wasn't enough for me to be organized like everybody else. I have to be hyper-organized. I know that I am not the kind of person who can wing it. If you make me wing it, just the adrenaline of winging it as, you know, along with all my other deficiencies, it is, it's just not pretty and it never works out well. So I know that my organization can slide in at the ninth hour because I just know how I am and I'm likely going to be, you know, I'm just going to be cutting it close. I need that adrenaline to, you know, flip that dopamine switch, switch and get me to do what I need to do. But I know I need to be organized. I know that my brain is not a linear brain. And so 
if I'm not organized, I won't even know where to start. And I'm just going to physically and mentally spin. Remember, intensity is such a part of ADHD. So that often means emotional intensity as well. (laughs) I have an example of, I don't know what I was thinking. So my daughter was born. She was probably three months old. And I decided that I was going to throw a sip and see teddy bear tea. Now, keep in mind, entertaining was always my forte. You know, it wasn't a big deal. But that positive illusory bias kicked in and I had, I didn't plan And I just kind of thought I could wing it. Here I had this brand new baby that I was nursing and I just completely missed the boat to the point that I still wasn't dressed when company got there and I had all the platters and trays on the floor with no food in them (laughs) because the food still wasn't ready, trying to figure out what I was going to use for what. And I still have nightmares about that. (laughs) about that day. It's kind of like the nightmares you get when you get to an exam and it's already, you know, the exam's already started or it's over, which literally happened to me in, in college as well. So I know that I just don't do well under pressure and I have to plan ahead. And more than just plan ahead, everything has to be scheduled. Every recipe has to be gone through. Everything has to be chopped and be ready to go. And I'm still going to struggle, even when all that's done. And it's because of the timing. Now, I got an Apple Watch about a month ago. And I have to tell you, there are so many things that I love about it. And I really pushed hard. You know, I did not want to get an Apple Watch. I don't like the way they look. I just, the whole idea of it, jumping on that whole, you know, I just didn't want one. But I, I heard someone with ADHD talking about how much it helped them. And so I decided that I was going to try it. And there are so many great things with the Apple Watch. But one of the things that I love the most, I feel like I can cook again because I was really starting to feel like I just couldn't do it anymore. So there is a way with the watch where you can literally set timers and you can set timers for all different things. So I can say, set the timer for 20 minutes for the salmon or set the timer to put the potatoes in the oven in 15 minutes. And so it really kind of guides me along and allows me to calm down versus before I'd have all these individual timers on, but I couldn't remember what timer was for what part of the meal. So what about if you find yourself in a position where this emotional intensity comes up and you can't, or you didn't plan for it, like you couldn't plan around it, what can you do? What really works for me in this order, if you have the time to do it, is number one, exercise. If I can just get into the gym and work out, it just has this effect of just calming my mind down. And what I thought was important just is no longer important. For example, I work out every single morning before I do anything. And I will notice that sometimes I will wake up and I'll feel this anxiety and just, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. The minute I exercise, it calms me down. So I have learned that for me, working out first thing in the morning really helps me to I don't know, set my day and know where it is that I need to go next. So if I'm really anxious, if I am feeling like I'm frustrated and I can't control my emotions, if I can get in the gym and work out, I know that works for me. 
The second thing that works for me, and I've, I've read a lot about this, and apparently there is a connection or a correlation between those of us with ADHD brains and how nature calms us down. So nature is the second thing that works for me. And it can be as simple as literally going out into my garden and gardening for 20 minutes. Again, it just calms me down and allows me to focus. And I don't feel like I'm at the whim of my emotions as much. The third thing that really works for me, and I usually start with this actually, is breathing. You would be surprised what happens if you can just get yourself to pause and then literally count to 10 and take 10 deep breaths. I don't know what it is about that, but it completely takes the edge off. And then I'm in a much better position to decide how I'm going to react to something that's frustrating me. I also understand that meditation really works for some people. I have to tell you, for me, I can't get my brain to slow down enough and stop to be able to meditate, but I'm telling you, I'm working on it. I'm trying. Now, the other thing that I can tell you is awareness is separate from emotion and thought, which means that you actually can choose how to respond to the emotional intensity that you're feeling. You know, again, if I can pause, let me back up a second and let me give you a strategy that I've started to adopt and it really seems to also work. And that is if I can pause long enough and then give a name to what the feeling is that I'm feeling, right? And I can also identify where I'm feeling it. That really helps for me. So if I say to myself, can you hear, first of all, can you hear the frog in the background? So I am actually in my studio at home recording. I live on a property that I named Bullfrog Farms. I'm going on an ADHD tangent right here, but I live on a property that I named Bullfrog Farms because we were here for a good year. We have a one acre pond and we were here for a good year before I realized that the sound that we were hearing was bullfrogs. I thought it was, we have, um, because we have a pond, we have Canada geese that come, you know, sometimes we've got a hundred of them on the pond. They're so messy and noisy and frankly, kind of nasty. And so for a year, for a year, I thought that the sound was these Canada geese, but it turns out we have a lot of frogs. And what you're hearing is a little frog in my studio. He must be in the closet. Somehow they get in from there. So anyway, that was a total ADHD tangent. Okay. So where was I? This whole idea that awareness is separate from emotion and thought, which means that we can choose how to respond to the emotional intensity that we're feeling. And so what works for me is if I can pause and give a name to what I'm feeling and identify where I'm feeling it. So for example, I can say, okay, I feel like my stomach is in knots and there's a puppy bouncing around in it. Then what I do is I focus on that feeling of my stomach being in knots and that puppy bouncing around in it. And I really allow myself to feel it. That really, really helps me. We need to get out of our heads because so much is going on in there, right? We're likely ruminating. And of course, what we focus on just gets bigger. And if we can get out of our heads and into our bodies and feel the feelings that we're feeling. I know that's a mouthful. I think what happens is 
When we really struggle is when we don't allow ourselves to feel. We just tamp it down and pretend it doesn't matter. And we tamp it down and pretend it doesn't matter. And then over time, the next time we feel that feeling, we literally just explode. So if you can really focus on what you're feeling, that stomach that's in knots, that pumpy that puppy that's bouncing around in it, guess what'll happen? You'll stop feeling that feeling. Because studies show that emotions only last about 90 seconds. So if you can ride the emotion without reacting and just feel it for 90 seconds, it's going to pass and you won't have blown everything completely out of proportion and made it even worse. Oh my gosh, that frog sounds like um, he or she is even closer. Now, if you're just starting out trying to work on diffusing your emotional intensity, one thing you might want to try is the opposite action to stop an intense emotion in its tracks. You know, emotions often come with a specific behavior, like you get into an argument and then you get angry, you sulk and withdraw. And clearly, whatever you've been doing in the past, I mean, it gives you the results you've had up until now, but if you want different results, you have to do something different than what you've been doing, right? And again, we think that emotion triggers behavior, but really it can totally be the way, the other way around. Our behavior can actually trigger our emotion. So instead of doing what you would usually do when you're upset, if you try doing the opposite action, for example, if you're angry, don't yell, just talk quietly or just walk away and don't respond until you feel calmer and ready to you'd be surprised how that can really calm us down and make us feel a better emotion. We won't be so frustrated. We won't be so angry. We really need to pay attention to how it is that we're feeling because we tend to get up in our heads when we're upset. Again, we're thinking, we're thinking, we're thinking. And the truth is that our thoughts are what is responsible for our emotions. So if we're thinking bad thoughts, we're going to feel bad emotions. We need to think different thoughts if we want to experience different emotions. So that was just a different way of saying that. So if you can pause long enough not to react, if you can breathe and count to 10, things, emotion can dissipate and we can have a better shot at controlling it. Now, we also have the sense that whomever we're upset at, well, they must know we're upset. They must have done that on purpose to hurt us or upset us. And that's normally not even true, right? So we're thinking things and we're making up all these stories in our head that it's not even true. I mean, usually... They were thinking about one person, and that person was themselves. They never even thought about you. Now, if we have ADHD, the chances are that our children may also have it, right? Because ADHD is about as heritable as height. So there's at least a 50% chance that if we've got ADHD, one or more of our kids has it. So if we have a parent and a child who has trouble regulating normal emotion, and then on top of that, we have a parent who is teaching that child to react when they feel out of control with their emotions, when they feel frustrated. You can imagine that's not good, right? And I don't know what it is, but for some reason, my kids are not the targets of my impulsive emotions. And, you know, 
I believe that the reason why that is, is that I know that self-control is not learned. You know, I grew up probably like most of you thinking that self-control was learned and I was stunned to learn that I was wrong. Self-control is a neurobiological trait. Kids are born the way they are. So my daughter's wonderful manners, her perfectly timed pleases and thank yous, they had little, if anything, to do with me or my husband. I thought that it was because we were such great parents. And then, of course, I had my son, who was so completely different than my daughter. Now, how do I know that self-control is not learned? It's a, a neurobiological trait. I know it for sure because I raised my son, Marcus, and my daughter exactly the same way, yet they're still so different from each other. Self-control actually comes from being able to stop and wait, from being able to visualize the past, from being able to think ahead so you don't continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. So it comes from having hindsight and also having foresight. Self-control comes from having a voice in your head that helps you control yourself and manage your emotions. Now, in children with ADHD, all of these things are delayed. So my son was doing the very best that he could do. So why would I yell at him? Why would I nag him? Why would I poke fun at him when he couldn't control his behavior? He was born that way. He was really trying. Now, of course, I could talk to him. I could try to get him to understand how I would like him to behave. But I had to understand that for him, it was much harder for him to sit still. It was much harder for him to listen and slow down and not make the same mistakes and manage his emotions than it was for my daughter. He was doing the best that he could do with his brain wiring. And so because I knew that, it really helped me be more empathetic, kinder, slower to jump into that authoritarian parent mode, right? Because it didn't work. And that's what I discovered pretty quickly. So we interviewed a psychotherapist in our Facebook group named Perry Jansen, our Facebook group is called ADHD for Smartass Women, and we talked to her about how to parent children when we feel like we're basically going to lose it. Now, Perry has been working as a psychotherapist for 30 plus years. She's a professor. She had a radio show and column in Seattle, and she gave us some great tips on becoming more patient with our children and less reactive. So if you want to hear what she says, go over to our Facebook group, ADHD for Smartass Women. And I asked her to come on because we had a mother in our group who was talking about using a belt on her kids. And it became sort of heated and contentious because, frankly, I don't. And it seems like none of the other women in the group think that using a belt on your child is anything other than child abuse. But And this woman is no longer in our group. But she was ADHD and she had four kids. So since, again, ADHD is very heritable, chances are that two or more of her kids had ADHD. And Perry said something that was so profound to me, and I don't know, it just really resonated and I want to share it with you. And what she said is, when we yell and scream at our kids, or worse, we hit them, they do not remember the lesson. They don't remember why we yelled at them, why we screamed at them, or heaven forbid, why we hit them. They only remember that they were screamed at and hit.
As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. If you like what you're hearing, I would so appreciate if you'd drop us a review. If you have a comment, a guest you'd like for me to interview, or a topic idea, feel free to contact me. If you go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and click on podcast in the navigation bar, there's a microphone right there in the header where you can leave me an audio message. You can also reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smart-ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week. Mm-hmm.